0: This podcast features adults using adult language, but, you know, you got to grow up sometime.
1: Hey, everyone. You know what it's time for? Swan's Cross.
0: Every time, every time we start my, uh, my Roomba wants to go. <laughs> I love, I love my wife and she <laughs> loves our Roomba.
1: <laughs> Did she name it?
0: Oh yeah. It's called Rosie as in Aww. after the Jetsons made.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, it is. It is in fact great.
1: Oh boy. Um, wow. Can you believe we are, we now have six episodes remaining
0: i feel like I feel like we're just counting down every time
1: we are and it's, i mean and it's great we want to get to the end of this
0: <laughs> i there is listen i love having a reason to talk to you every week i wish there was a reason that wasn't this
1: <laughs> oh I, I think i'm flattered <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Ugh.
0: I think this, you know what? I I feel like the reason people play D&D and do podcasts is roughly the same. It's so that you have a reason to talk to your friends on a regular basis that you have all committed to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is how people of our generation stay in touch in the internet age cuz you know, we are the let's face it, Snapchat Discord, TikTok, uh, yes. not made for us, not made yeah. for the olds.
0: No, we're so old,
1: <laughs> positively ancient.
0: <laughs> we, well, here's the thing: Snapchat and Discord are not made for people who want to have a conversation. No, they're not. No, they're they're made they're made for people who are like shooting out their thoughts into the universe like fire and forget missiles from a from a fighter jet
1: yeah it's discord is uh appropriately named it is horrific you can't respond you have to scroll scroll you have to scroll back through like a hundred random stupid comments to find the one you want to reply to like it's terrible it's it's bad design i hate it yeah and pretty soon elon musk a literal evil wizard is going to own twitter and use it as a tool to spread white supremacy so now we all have to leave twitter (laughs) so where are we gonna go nowhere but the podcast
0: i mean yeah absolutely that's the only that's the only it's the only place left
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh shit we brought
0: it back around i I was wondering how we were gonna get to it this week but here (laughs) we are (laughs)
1: Well, uh this has gotta grow up sometime. A Swan's Crossing retrospective for old people. I'm Libby Grant. I'm
0: Nathan Kessler Jeffrey, and I'm not sure today if there was anything usable in the intro.
1: <laughs> I'll I'll cobble something together out
0: of it. What if what if you didn't? What if you just started <laughs> with with this is, this is this is gotta grow up sometime a Swan's Crossing retrospective? that then, then I said that and then people were like did they have an intro did i miss something
1: <laughs> oh my god oh will we watched uh, episode 59 we sure did it sure is did. it's leading up to a few things this is our our last um friday where it's our last lead up to a friday episode except for the very last episode of season 1 so it's so, the penultimate
0: Thursday episode.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, the penultimate Thursday episode. <laughs> well said. Um, it, it was a, uh, it was interesting. Some things happened, and we're going to talk about them. We sure are. We sure are. What did I, what did I think was going to happen, Libby? <laughs> you were, you were pretty close on most of them. Here were your predictions from last week. At least one scene where Pegasus speaks, but we would never see their face. We did not hear pegasus speak or his face but pegasus was there
0: we also did not hear his face you're absolutely
1: right (laughs) that's correct (laughs) god damn it i have not had enough coffee this morning uh you predicted that there would be a scene where barrick callie and captain walker would have dinner in which callie would be suspicious but captain walker would be charmed by barrick however you predicted that this would be difficult to pull off because we never see the inside of the Swans Club, so perhaps this post-dinner conversation would occur beside the pool. Uh, I bet you were not prepared for what actually happened.
0: Nope.
1: (laughs) We'll get into it later.
0: Oh my gosh. Everyone arranged like Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper on one side of these round tables.
1: (laughs) Ah, yes! you predicted that jimmy would do some investigating we did not this is like the first jimmy-less episode in a long string of jimmy episodes that's true
0: that's true a long string of of jimmy episodes (laughs) is great i love it i don't know what it is but i love it
1: (laughs) you predicted that jt glory neil and saja would continue planning the game night that was correct Yes. You said that Sandy and Owen would be planning their music video. Sadly, we did not get Sandy and Owen in this one.
0: Nothing. You see, here's the thing. Every time I predict Sandy and Owen won't be in an episode, there they are. And every time I'm like, well, I last time I was wrong, so I guess I'll predict them this time. I'm just... I, oh. It's
1: Schrodinger's Sandy and Owen. <laughs> You don't know whether a Sandy and Owen will be there until you uh, until you predict an observation of a Sandy and Owen, and then it's the opposite.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how Schrodinger thought of thought of the cat in the box, as I understand.
1: Spooky Sandy and Owen action at a distance.
0: Ugh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you predicted no Muffy and no Grant Booth. That was correct, and finally that everything would be building up to the big game night, which would be Friday's episode. Also correct.
0: Yes. So, can I talk about this thumbnail? Please talk about that thumbnail. So, in the thumbnail on chowtfactory.tv, Glory clings to JT in his room as multicolored Christmas lights climb the pillar from which his hammock swings. She seems distressed as he comforts her, and I, for one, am instantly ready to f- go to go to fisticuffs with whomever has upset this little angel.
1: <laughs> Indeed. We open at No Man's Land, where Garrett is taunting Sydney over the birth certificate and how he won the bet.
0: Yeah, they're speaking through the hole in the wall of No Man's Land, and it is—it's uh, a little. I, I have to say, I was a little disappointed. I thought we were going to get more than just the maintaining of the status quo in this scene, but she's yeah, he is not giving over the birth certificate, and essentially is. Uh, demanding that she go find him more poems
1: yes but one thing that's really interesting to note in this scene is that sydney is kind of unruffled or at least she's she's presenting that front to garrett she's like all right whatever look i gave you a chance to not be a dickhead for once but i guess that's not in the cards for you and she's she seems very calm and collected in the face of all of his taunting
0: that's true. There's not a lot of like Sydney Pensive music. She's not staring into the middle space worried about her future as the daughter of Mayor Rutledge for Mayor. I like it's really it's quite a um quite a bit of character growth, I would say.
1: Yeah. She makes one final attempt to get the birth certificate from Garrett, although she still doesn't seem terribly worried about it in this scene, and then he says The only thing you're getting from me is poetic license.
0: I also wrote that line down because it was so bad.
1: That comment makes no sense, but okay, Garrett.
0: So we cut over to the docks where Saja arrives on his mini bike as Callie is climbing down the ladder from the sub. He has come prepared to spy, to sleuth, to penetrate the minds of their enemies. Cue racist gong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Callie says, among some more racist gongs, that she has to go out to dinner with her dad and Beric. And is like, stoked about the idea of dinner with Beric, presumably because they can get more clues. But he's not going.
0: Yeah. Uh, she has a task for him, uh, a small task, which he refers to as a little mamba <laughs> to <laughs> differentiate it from the great mamba-jamba. Um, and so she sends him off to find JT and Neil and get them to track down, essentially, use their hacking skills to track down Sydney's birth certificate.
1: That's right. Callie wants them to hack into the mainframe.
0: That's right. Let's, let's get some of that early 90s computer graphic hacking oh, montage. Yes, please.
1: We cut to a strange vision. We get a close up of someone's mouth. The upper half of their face is covered by a sort of red orange cloth. The mouth is working furiously while someone off-screen yells, "You're ugly and you dress funny. You smell like a bus."
0: This shit was so weird. <laughs> I, as the camera zooms out, we see that we are in JT's room where Glory is in a weird hood and mouthing these words. Uh, as JT and Neil are busy decorating. Well, at least JT is, because Neil seems to be sucking helium out of a balloon so he can talk funny.
1: Also, I would just like to note, you smell like a bus is a really great insult. Like, I've never been on a bus that smelled good, so... That's you know? true. That's true. Like, the
0: best you can hope for from a bus is a low smell.
1: <laughs> That's right. But yes, Swannies, the amusement extravaganza will be held in JT's bedroom, after all. And Neil sucks in a lungful of helium and shrieks, let the games begin.
0: So there there's crazy carnival music going on. The set is packed with carnival games. It looks like there's a dartboard, board and uh, the, the, the scream blow up doll uh, is still very present, which is going to become important later in ways that I had no idea would, would come to pass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But they're going over what they assume their profit margins are going to be. And Glory notes that they have become very serious about making money. And it must be because it has something to do with their project.
1: Yes. And also in the midst of this, this three-way conversation that's going on, Neil is still sucking helium. And he has imbibed so much of it that he tries to deliver a line. And he literally almost passes out and has to grab onto like christmas light covered post on the set and he can't even like give the entire line because he is about to lose consciousness
0: how many takes of this did they make eddie robinson do
1: or did he just not realize he had sucked way too much helium so when he stood up he almost fell over it's really great
0: to be fair when you were a child the first sucking helium as we all do you don't really know like your limits,
1: right? It's, exactly. It's like
0: alcohol. You got to figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, J.T. plays it cool though, and he just goes right on, even though Neil drops half of his line. So it was pretty. It was a great moment. I loved it.
0: Anyway, so they're talking about their project. It becomes uh, quickly. Uh, they, they quickly change the subject, so Glory doesn't get any more information on UB2B. Because of being stuck in the pit and being asked all these questions about them when she was, you know, with the snake people. This, and and then she she grabs JT and it's the moment of comfort that we see in the thumbnail. And she says it was her worst nightmare, especially the hooded figure with the snake. Oh, yes. Uh, cut too.
1: The old Walker estate where Captain Baldy has just received some sort of instructions from the mysterious snake man known only as Pegasus, Captain Baldi agrees to keep his eyes open, but keep his hands off the girl. But all others, he will keep under surveillance.
0: It will be done, my Pegasus. Okay, couple things to talk about here. First of all, uh, Captain Baldi is still wearing the radio gig, like whirly gig antenna thing on the top of his head. Excellent. It's very, very good. Secondly, probably good to keep your hands off the girl in in almost all cases.
1: Yeah. Keep your hands off the girl. Generally. Just keep your hands off the
0: girl. Good advice. Yep. Yep. After he says this, the, the, the Pegasus lifts the snake in the air over his head like he's about to body slam this thing like a WWE wrestler.
1: <laughs> he's going to do a haymaker on the snake.
0: Yeah, uh, and and the snake the snake doesn't doesn't care. It's just draped on either side. <laughs> it's like essentially formed this big upside down horseshoe with the snake. <laughs> and we cut to the commercial. No theme song. No nothing. No explanation.
1: I like how this whole Baldy subplot has gone from, I guess, like government, like this agents of the Rodavian government. One would assume. To now a weird cult that worships a snake man named Pegasus?
0: I think that's it. I think that that is really the only possible explanation for what's going on.
1: The here. whole thing took a turn. They really lost track of the plot. But okay. When we come back from commercial, we're in JT's room again, and Neil is showing Glory how some kind of palm print scanner <laughs> works on the computer.
0: I love this because when he prints it out, it looks like somebody has just taken an ink handprint of Glory and just like slapped it on the page.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what somebody did. I love this so much. According to Neil, this
0: thing was a huge is going to be a huge draw for game night. It was the hit of the science fair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Glory mentions that Sydney's going to be showing up a little bit later that evening with the slot machine. And Neil heads off to make some sandwiches, to which JT awkwardly yells, yeah, I'm down with that, in a mimicry of African-American vernacular. It's very awkward, and Neil responds the only way one should, which is pausing and staring at JT witheringly, and then leaving.
0: (laughs) Good, good job, Eddie Robinson.
1: (laughs) It was very strange. I, I can only assume this was like, the writers were trying to set up a subplot for season two where Neil gets sick of like JT appropriating his culture, which would have been interesting in the early nineties because no one else was talking about how fucked up that was.
0: I think you are giving the swans crossing writers way too much credit.
1: You think maybe, maybe this was improv on Eddie Robinson's part where he was just like, I'm not even responding to that stupid line. You left out one, what I believe to be
0: a very important detail, which is that Neil says he's going to go make some computer sandwiches. Yes. I. Which the way that the way that sandwiches happen in JT's house has always sort of amazed me. Um, <laughs> I don't know what a computer sandwich is, but yeah, I'm sure it's fantastic. Can't wait to see it.
1: It's a Computer sandwiches have appeared previously, like in one of the early episodes with Neil and JT. It's Neil's favorite snack for when he's doing computer things. And it's like two pieces of bread and like some gross kind of meat and I think pickles and peanut butter. I can't remember exactly what's on it, but it's gross, basically.
0: That That is disgusting. Okay, so Neil leaves. JT and Glory are left alone for a long moment filled with intense sexual tension. And then right when they should start macking with each other, JT like just starts picking stuff up off the floor and putting it in bags. Now, I don't know how you were when you had your first girlfriend, but my first girlfriend and I would literally take any moment that we were alone to just start making out as fast as possible.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. We were like octopi just all over each other. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like any any moment at which there was no one else in the room was a chance to
1: grab some boob
0: <laughs> to to get. With it. Yeah,
1: Gloria immediately says, oh, yeah, I have to go soon too." JT whips a piece of paper out of his pocket. It's another poem. And Glory is thrilled.
0: She instantly starts reading it out loud. And it, he's a little embarrassed about that, but he lets her continue. It ends with thinking about her lips. She smiles. They hold hands. And, they, and we cut to the Swan's Club, where all the tables are set up poolside.
1: <laughs> exactly what you want with your fine dining. The smell of chlorine. Every
0: other scene, except for the new to Bronx Benefit. All of the dining at the Swans Club has happened outside of the pool area. And not only not only is it like these octagonal tables crammed into this tiny amount of space around the pool. Everyone is sitting on one side of each table.
1: It's so awkwardly blocked. <laughs> like you guys aren't on stage you're this is film you don't have to block it this way
0: it was it was as if they were like we don't have enough cameras so instead of resetting up shots we're gonna stage this in a way that makes no sense whatsoever great
1: oh my god yeah
0: amazing
1: it's so good
0: He snipes back at her for her sushi and uh, Captain Walker cuts in to state that sushi is the best uh, meat to eat because it has to be eaten immediately after they catch it and is never frozen.
1: His exact words are, I have always thought that sushi is the noblest of all fleshy foods. (laughs) Which is gross. Don't say that. That just sounds gross.
0: Fleshy foods, (laughs) despite the great alliteration, should never be uttered again. It also should be the title of this episode.
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, maybe the title of this episode is The Noblest of Fleshy Foods.
0: (laughs) Uh, So good.
1: Anyway, Barrack and Captain Walker start banging on about bioluminescence, and Callie looks somewhat less than thrilled with it all, and we cut across the set to Garrett and Mila, who enter the pool area and sit down at an incongruous dining table.
0: Okay, a a couple of things before we cut away from the Walker table. Um as they're talking about bioluminescence, Beric notes that the captain remembers their conversation from the new benefit to which the captain responds without any trace of irony. I never forget an illuminating conversation. And the, the, it is amazing only because it is delivered completely straight with, with like not even a hint of a smile. I could not have done this. Um, (laughs) The the other thing that I love is that the captain's salad comes in a bowl shaped like a swan.
1: <laughs> it is so good. There's like two swan bowls on this table. We got a wealth of, of other swans in this episode.
0: Oh, so good. So good. Okay. We cut over to Garrett and Mila.
1: Yes. Mila has, says that she has spent the whole afternoon reading poetry and Garrett hands her a paper.
0: He says he spent his afternoon on poetry, too. Uh, and she opens up this paper that he hands her and she reads it and she says, oh, this is one of the ones that I read this afternoon. It's by Robert Frost.
1: Yes, Garrett plagiarized a Robert Frost poem and tried to pass it off as his own work. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. He squirms around as though he's been caught. And it was at this moment that I realized there is already food on their table. How did they, like, they've literally sat down and their plates have their entrees.
1: I did not notice that. Maybe they called ahead with an, with an order so it was ready to go as soon as they got there. Even if it was ready to go when they got there, you don't put it on the table before they sit down. Well, into this awkward silence after Garrett has been busted as a plagiarist, Callie is paged over the intercom with a phone call. Garrett looks around, thinking, I think, perhaps that uh, seeing Callie might give him an excuse to get out of this uh, need to explain why he plagiarized Robert Frost.
0: We cut back over to the walker table. Callie doesn't seem to be moving, uh, as Beric is. Uh, Barrick and the captain are conversing how deep that they have been in submarines... Uh, uh-huh. And she's paged again, runs over, picks up the house phone, which has never been poolside before. Nope. House, the house phone has always been off of the soundstage before. And it is Sydney distressed.
1: Yeah. So Sydney, despite all of her playing it cool to Garrett's face earlier, has been having a rough time. She's finding it hard to stay strong. So she called Callie for some emotional support.
0: Yes. Um, and she, (laughs) she is talking about how she's feeling kind of trapped by Garrett. Callie looks over and she's like, I've got a view of your problem right now. Garrett and Mila are right in front of me. And you see Callie, it's a split screen shot and Callie's side goes wide. And we see her lurking in the background as Mila and Garrett eat.
1: (laughs) She's really close too; like, she's three feet away. Callie is. So, like, there's no way she's not going to hear this conversation. And no way Garrett's not going to hear her talking to Sydney about him, too. Which is really funny to me.
0: And in an unusual turn of events for Swan's Crossing, there is not an insane amount of background noise.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Callie hangs up the phone and sort of lingers there, listening in on Garrett's conversation with Mila, as Garrett says, He just wanted to share a poem that inspired him, and Robert Frost made him into the poet he is today. And Callie looks like she's not buying any of this horse shit. And as she leaves, Mila says the poems she really likes are Garrett's.
0: Callie gets back to the table as Barrick and the captain rise. Barrick has taken her seat and is now next to the captain. They seem to be discussing the effects of different marine poisons that the captain's been researching and is going to share his research. Callie looks utterly bored out of her mind.
1: <laughs> she does. Derek actually makes a comment that he thinks it would be really cool to live on a sub and do research, and that'll come up later, but yeah. Well, and then
0: he he it's sort of like he's seeking an invitation from the captain and then he turns his head and like glares at Callie like she is somehow standing between him and this love match he is trying to make with her dad. It
1: is such an awkward, weird scene. I'm not sure what we're supposed to be taking away from any of it of it other than just, you know, the usual Callie and Barrick are super suspicious around each other. I don't know. It's odd. I, I I texted you about this scene
0: because <laughs> it, there are very few things in dramatic uh cinema writing that I hate more than the awkward dinner table conversation it is my favorite Christmas movie in the world has a scene right in the middle of it that is a like dinner scene that ends in like shouting and people leaving but prior to that it is 10 minutes of misery
1: as people are awkward to each other are you familiar with the film the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie i am not oh you should watch it sometime it's a surrealist film but it's easy to follow for surrealism but it is (laughs) an entire movie that's all like the world's most awkward attempts at awkward dinner parties (laughs)
0: that's 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 not that's not a surrealism <laughs> movie that's a horror movie <laughs> you, you've just described my actual nightmare
1: <laughs> i think it would work as a horror movie too it's it's also very funny in some parts but yeah it's worth watching it, it's super weird but um it did kind of remind me of this strange uh, strange scene at the at the swan's club <laughs> because what the fuck is oh, going fuck. on with this whole dinner anyway
0: Anyway, when we come back from commercial, Neil and JT are in their room daydreaming about how much money they're going to make to build a new lab. And <laughs> with, with everything that they're bringing in, they're going to call it Minefield 2.
1: Yeah, I think their expectations might be a little unrealistic for how much money they're going to raise by playing poker with their friends in JT's room.
0: Yeah, JT's decided he's going to buy a star and name it Glory.
1: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> so good. <laughs> So, Sydney yeah.
1: drops by, she's brought the slot machine, although she she carried it up the stairs, but she left it outside in the hallway because she's not doing that much, much work.
0: Neil runs out and pokes his head back in, saying that she actually did bring the slot machine, and they ask what's up. She's being all helpful and friendly, unlike her normal self, and uh, she, her, she actually, like again props to Sarah Michelle Geller like she she's really brought a a sort of like innocence and honesty to this section of her characterization um and uh said it says essentially i was just restless and doing this is better than nothing so they drag in the slot machine which is apparently very he- heavy and Ralph may have helped a little getting upstairs <laughs> but i want to talk just for a second about the ludicrously large arm on this one-armed bandit—it is like the 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 ball at the end of this arm is the size of a grapefruit. It's humongous.
1: It is. <laughs> so after Sydney uh, empathizes with the blow-up doll of Edvard Munch's The Scream, JT punches it in the head and sends it flipping end over end. And Sydney reiterates that she knows exactly how he feels. And we get the pensive piano music. They
0: encourage her to come back for the party, even though she's likely to be out of money at the end of it. And from the doorway, she says, I'm beginning to see it costs a lot to play any
1: game. <laughs> such a good line. I love it. We cut over to the booth porch. Garrett and Mila come out of the house for some reason, even though they were just at the Swans Club. And Mila's talking about how much she loves singing and how inspired it makes her feel. And Garrett says... That's the way he feels when he's around Mila. She is not
0: catching on to the fact that he wants to make out uh, and keeps talking about singing. Uh, He says he's still hoping to be her agent, as he said at her birthday party, but he doesn't want 10%. He wants 100% of her. (laughs) Okay, okay, creep.
1: (laughs) Yikes, dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this this is the moment, like, I, I was having trouble with Psychopath of the Week. Uh, But this is the moment that I was like, "Mm."
1: yeah, Garrett makes a strong case for psychopath of the week here for sure. I would like to own you, please. (laughs) 100% of you belongs to me now. Thank you. And goodbye. (laughs) She brings the conversation back as always to the damn poems. Garrett seems like he's getting pretty annoyed with it. He tries to get her to forget about the poems She says she carries his poetry around with her so whenever she misses him, she can read a poem and feel close to him again.
0: So she pulls one out, tells him to shut his eyes, and starts reading the one about love being like a rose, and then Glory shows up.
1: Oh shit! So at first when Glory appears, she doesn't hear the poem because they stop like right as she comes up. But it's very close and she's like oh yeah I was out to dinner with mom and dad we went to Jimmy's dad's restaurant yada yada. So then she heads inside but she leaves the door open and as she's hanging up her purse on like the hooks on the wall she hears Mila resume the poem.
0: And she slinks back to the doorway unseen to listen to the end of it.
1: Oh, we- man.
0: Oh, man. Stuff's about to go down. Cut back to JT running the bingo spinner as he's on the phone. Mr. Han is apparently spreading the word to everyone in the library about games night. Saja comes in, having missed all of the setup, which they give him a little bit of a hard time for. And he says, I was busy cleaning, clearing my psychic channels, okay? So I can tell fortunes at your party tonight. It's tonight?
1: Apparently. Everyone's already had dinner. I I guess maybe they're going to do, like, an all-nighter type thing. How late is the library open? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Mr. Hahn has other channels.
0: We have talked about this, because Glory has been to the library incredibly late at night. I, You know, you, do you remember in the 90s, when we were, like, teenagers and couldn't go to bars yet, and there were all of those, like, open late coffee shops?
1: Yeah. The,
0: the library has got to be the open late coffee shop of Swan's Crossing.
1: Totally, totally. That's what it is. Ugh. The boys basically tell Saja that uh, they cannot help with his computer wizardry to, re- re- to reclaim the Lost Town Records because they're too busy with fundraising, and then after they have their money, they're going to be too busy doing science.
0: He asks them, yeah, uh, he asks them to help with the town records and won't tell them what it's for, which I love. I need you to hack the town records, please. For what? I can't tell you that. Yeah. So how am I going to know if I get the information you need?
1: Just just hack him. Just hack all of them. Hack everything. It's fine.
0: He asks if there is any point in the future in which they can help him. And they say, you're the one with the cards. You tell us.
1: So Sasha starts dealing not from a tarot deck, but just, you know, regular playing cards. And they all just start playing poker.
0: It is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: We cut from that scene to the Walker estate where Captain Baldi is playing some kind of solitaire game with his own deck of cards. I literally
0: had the exact same phrasing in my notes. Captain Baldi is playing some kind of solitaire.
1: It's no solitaire that I recognize, but maybe in Rodavia slash the Snake Man cult, solitaire is done differently.
0: I We have to assume.
1: Yes. Uh, He speaks briefly into a walkie-talkie to tell someone that nothing's going on, and he's still on hold. This is like me trying to get a hold of the shipping company that's supposed to deliver my chair.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. This scene lasts almost no time at all, and we cut to commercial, and we come back to Callie haranguing her dad about hanging out with her boss outside of work as they approach the submarine.
1: (laughs) Yes, Callie mentions she thought her dad was on the verge of inviting Barrick to come live in the sub with them. And then Captain Walker says, have I not taught you that things are not always what they appear to be?
0: Dun, dun, dun. And oh. at that moment, Saja comes jump kicking from off camera and lands next to them. <laughs>
1: just Saja, you gotta chill, dude. You can't just like karate kick your way into people's conversations. You're gonna get hurt.
0: You can't karate kick your way into people's conversations is the title of like a self-help book for, for martial arts nerds. (laughs) Like I've been around a lot of martial arts nerds. This is a book that's needed.
1: Yeah. I I would agree with that for sure. Captain Walker uh, excuses himself. It seems he's kind of pissed off at Callie over this argument they had. He climbs up into the sub in a huff and then Callie asks Saja how it went.
0: Saja informs Callie and JT, Callie that JT and Neil are more into making money than doing them a f- favor. And he asks if he can do anything else. And she asks him to walk, be- watch Barrick in case he goes back to the tool and die. You mean where he lives?
1: Where else is he going to go?
0: <laughs> well, as we find out, not back to the
1: tool and die. Yeah. Saja's very stoked about doing this though. He is like runs off into the night, just ready to spy. He's into it.
0: Yep, we cut away from this to G- Garrett flopping on Glory's bed in her bedroom and rejoicing that he finally has, uh, that he finally has, that he finally has a girlfriend who likes him.
1: His exact line is, "I finally have what you have, someone who really likes me and who who I really like." And then Glory, who's not having any of his shit tonight, says, "Yeah, he does have what she has, and she wants it back."
0: She gave he gave her poem to Mila and she tells him that JT wrote it and as he deals with that she kicks him out of the room and the my this is easily one of my favorite moments in Swan's Crossing when Garrett realizes that this poem that he, that Mila is obsessed with was written by his arch nemesis JT
1: it is so funny he staggers out onto the porch clings to one of the porch posts and stares stricken into the night and he says mila's not in love with chandler mila's not in love with me she's in love with and we cut to the walker estate (laughs) well we get some fantastic
0: doom music over that little scene it's so good as as we cut to the walker estate it's so good
1: Oh my god, Barrett, or Garrett is, like, having an absolute crisis. It's so funny.
0: Right, and I, I, we really do see the seeds of Mila and JT becoming a thing in season two, the unfilmed season two.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh. Anyway, on the Walker estate, Barrett comes slinking through the fog and the foliage, and we see Saja in his ninja outfit doing likewise
0: ninja ninja saja places his hand on a branch which turns out to be captain baldy hiding in the bushes
1: (laughs) saja yells and runs off but the baldy gives chase and as saja keeps running the head of a huge python drops down in front of him he then quietly whispers a karate sound and somersaults underneath it which i love yeah there is there is
0: i want to say a shin height root blocking his path with the python hanging down over it. He does this diving roll over the, the root that he could obviously just step over. Yeah, it's so great. Like rolls off and we freeze frame as the boa turns its head to look in the direction of the camera.
1: That's so funny. I love this ending. It's a great freeze frame and roll credits. Well, okay, we know our psychopath of the week was Garrett.
0: Garrett, absolutely.
1: For sure. Did you get a swan count?
0: Yes, absolutely. We had three new fake swans. We had the uh, the sw- the swan of uh, the the bowl, and then we had two swans on top of the of the the uh, slot machine. And
1: oh. oh, so so there's four swans because Captain Walker actually also has a swan bowl
0: in addition to a swan salad bowl.
1: Oh no, wait. So Barrick and Captain Walker both have swan dishes sitting in front of them of some kind
0: oh i didn't see
1: barracks okay excuse me yeah yeah it's a real glut of swans i don't know what's happening it's a glut of swans
0: absolutely <laughs> so we also have one new imaginary swan because we see lita on the submarine well that brings our uh running total to four imaginary swans 24 actual swans and 147 other swans it's
1: insane that is too many fucking swans <laughs>
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Okay, I'm going to hit mute on my mic and you give me your predictions for next week.
0: All right. I think next week, Saja escapes narrowly from Captain Baldy and finds Callie to explain what's happening. The game night happens. Garrett does something to threaten JT. Maybe Mila finds out that JT wrote the poems. Although I feel like that's probably going to get drug out until the end of the season. Uh, something goes horribly wrong at the game night party. I don't know what, but it causes a great commotion. Sydney still doesn't get resolution on the birth certificate, and maybe, maybe we see Beric meeting with Pegasus. I also, I also think JT and Neil are either vastly overwhelmed or vastly underwhelmed about the amount of money that they make. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, since it is a Friday episode and uh, our penultimate Friday episode before the the end of Swans Crossing as we know it, uh, we are sure to have a wild time next week. Absolutely. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for these are our theme song Gotta Grow Up Sometime
0: from the hit show Swans Crossing.
1: And if you want to find us on social media where you can send me DMs about questions you might have for our very last recap episode... Um, you can find us on Instagram at SwanscrossPod and on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod.
0: And until we can see one another again, please do not throw your boa constrictors down from above your head.
1: Please, don't. Don't <laughs> Just do it. Don't. Bye. Gotta grow Gotta grow up.
0: And you dress funny you smell like a bus how you got the brains of a soap dish yeah.